Amen. Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing well. Am I good? Thumbs up? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, we're going to jump in here pretty quickly this morning and uh, pick up a little bit where we left off last week. I just want to remind you of a few things if you were here and uh, just, just to keep in mind. Um, hey, John. Uh, and, and keep in mind a few things this morning as uh, we go through some stuff. And um, I really want to encourage you today that, you know, we've, we've talked in the past, if you've been around, about the DIY thing we kind of went through with you guys where we talk about processing God's Word, not just coming and hearing the message, but going through the week and processing what you hear um, not just letting it come in one ear out the other, but really spending time processing it. Um, today, I really want to encourage you to somehow write some things down. There's going to be a lot of information. I want to encourage you to go back this week and spend some time praying, looking at Scripture, um, thinking through this, because I really believe that uh, every week God's Word has the power to transform us and change us. But I really believe that this message today is, is really critical for us as believers, as Christians, to understand this and begin to live in this that we're going to talk about so that we can accomplish the purposes for which we were created. And so um, we're going to be looking at this. We're, go we're going to go back. I want to just spend a couple of minutes. I'm going to try to use um, some slides and things today. It'll be on the screen. Don't worry if you're in the back. They're going to put it on uh, the cameras, and so you'll be able to see it. Um, but I uh, want to go through a couple of things that we talked at, uh, talked about last week and, and even the week before. And so for us, we've talked about this a lot. If you've been around um, this uh, diagram right here where we've talked about the foundation, and um, I think it's going to go on the screens. But you've seen it enough. You know what it is. And so the foundation um, that we, we know that Jesus is perfect, the foundation of the church is perfect, but sometimes our understanding of some things can, can have voids. It can be um, off a little bit. And so uh, one of those things is we need to have a clear understanding of what it is to really follow Jesus, not um, just to sort of flippantly say, well, I, I'm a Christian, I believe. But what does it really mean to be a disciple of Christ, to follow Jesus? Uh, we need to um, understand that we're called to fullness in Christ. We need to understand we're called to Jesus's people, the church, and we need to understand clearly what the mission of Jesus is for us. The, the thing we looked at the last couple of weeks, though, is after we went several, several weeks through these different things, um, we need to begin to grow. And, and these areas of growth, they, they build up off of these clear call things. And so we need to grow in knowing God. We need to grow in fullness in Christ. We need to grow in the body of Christ. We need to grow in the kingdom of God. And so um, last week, we really looked at how do we grow in knowing God? What does that mean? And we're, we're in this series called Traction. What does it look like to gain spiritual traction? What, is it, what does that even mean? So we talked about that some last week. And especially in the area of knowing God, today we're going to hit knowing God a little more, but we're also going to talk about what it means to grow in fullness in Christ and how we do that. And so um, we're going to be today actually starting out in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we were in Joshua 1 last week. If you just back up just one book, you'll, you'll run into Deuteronomy really quick and, and go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're going to read two verses. Last week, we talked about how um, Joshua led the people uh, of Israel into the promised land. We're going to read this in Deuteronomy 31, then go to Joshua 1 and, and look at uh, something that was essential for him. Then we're going to fast forward a few hundred years to 2 Corinthians and look at something that Paul wrote and shares with us. All right, Deuteronomy 31, verse 7. Says then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel. This is really where uh, Moses is passing the torch to Joshua. Moses has led them. Now it's about to be Joshua's turn to take them and lead them into the promised land that God had given them. It says, "Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance." The Lord Himself goes before you. And will be with you. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. So notice what Moses says first. Be strong and courageous. He reminds him of this promise. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. He encourages him. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now let's go to Joshua chapter 1. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is a... Moses, my servant, is dead. We talked about how this is signifying a transition, a change, something different, a new season. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Echoing so much of what Moses told him in Deuteronomy. Listen to this. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. This is now the third time that Joshua has been told this. Once by Moses um, for on behalf of God, but now... God's speaking this to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you and do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then listen, verse 16. Then they answered that they, being the officers in, the, um, in Israel, these leaders in Israel, they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us to do, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we'll obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whoever you may command, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. If you're counting, I believe that's four times in Joshua and once in Deuteronomy that he's commanded to be strong and be courageous. Now let's fast forward way over uh, to 2 Corinthians. Go through the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. You'll get to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to go first to chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, in so much of his writing, he's writing to churches to defend his apostleship. And when I say apostleship, I mean his calling, his purpose, what God's given him to do, the authority um, that God has given him to, to do the things he was doing, to lead the churches, to plant churches. He, he's reminding them of this, and he's really trying to keep them from following after these false apostles who don't have their good in mind but want to just prosper themselves. And so this is what one of the things he's doing. He's about to kind of boast about some sufferings that he's had he doesn't want to, but these others are trying to elevate themselves with what all they've done, what all they've been through, all of their lineage in Israel and their pedigree and all this stuff. And so Paul begins to speak in the second part of 2 Corinthians 11, 21. He says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, he goes, I'm speaking as a fool. He, he, he's not wanting to do this. He's just trying to show them, look, he says, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He says, I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He's wanting the Corinthians to see, this church in Corinth, to see all that he's endured for the Christ and for them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, a lot of danger, and in danger from the false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I know, I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He says, out of all these things, the one thing that really burdens me 
is the churches and their, their, their well-being. He says, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Now let's back up just a few chapters. Same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, Paul is trying to get them to see that what he's doing for them is not done for profit. He doesn't preach himself. He preaches Jesus. He only wants good for them. He's talking about the glory of knowing Christ, that he's made the light of Christ shine in our hearts, that we can know him. And he says this in verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. He's like, what sustains us? He talks about in Verse 1 of this chapter, that they don't grow weary, they don't lose heart because of God's mercy. And he tells them here, he says, listen, it's this all-surpassing power that is from God, not from us, that, in, that, that gives us the ability to do what we do. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I want to pray for us and then... We'll get into these scriptures. Lord, I thank you for your word and your heart for us, God. Lord, that even when we were not mindful of you, you were mindful of us, Lord. I thank you, God, that you did everything necessary for us to have relationship with you, the forgiveness of our sins, the condemnation we deserve that was placed on Jesus, your wrath against sin that was placed on him, that we can have peace with you. God, I pray that that would sink in. I pray, Lord, that any inaccurate ways of thinking that we hold about you or who we've been created and now by faith in Jesus recreated to be, Lord, that your word, which is living and active, would pull down every stronghold, every inaccurate way of thinking, every argument that sets itself up against the true knowledge of Christ. God, that it would be pulled down in Jesus' name, that we'd have a greater clarity of you, understanding more of your true nature and character and who we are in you, God. Help us to grow in knowing you, not about you, but knowing you. Help us, God, to grow into the fullness of Christ. We can fulfill everything you've put us here for, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you in your life, you ever get in times where you're like me, you get in times where... Um, you just feel a lot of pressure. Like life just seems to put a lot of pressure on you. Anybody else in here? Yeah. Some of this might be um, like uh, work, right? You get some pressure from work. You're feeling some pressure to get some things done. Um, uh, you kind of feel like you're, you're sort of um, maybe failing in some ways or whatever it might be, or you're afraid of failing. That happens sometimes in school. We can do the same thing. We're worried that we won't do well enough, those kind of things. Um, and, and so we start feeling pressure. How many of you would say you feel pressure too, though, and let's be honest about this, from people around you, like imposed pressure from people around you, maybe like um, almost like peer pressure. I know that's kind of crazy to think like that, that you know, you get to be in your 40s and yet you're still, you still sometimes feel this peer pressure or you think about what other people think. Anybody else? And the funny thing about this, guys, is there's some people in here like, I don't care what nobody thinks. You care the most, right? <laughs> That's why you have to say that. I don't care what nobody thinks. Well, yeah, you do. You actually do. You care more than anybody else. So, um, and you're like, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. We can have this argument, but it's true. And as you do. And so um, anyway, uh, so we can say that, but we feel these pressures to be this or be that, or I can't do this. I can't do that because what about people? Well, what do they think? What are they going to say? What are they... And sometimes it just sort of drives us. And so um, we kind of end up like this. It's, it's almost like instead of standing firm in God's word and truth, instead of knowing who he is and who we are, uh, instead of walking in the spirit and following what God has for us, oftentimes we just, instead of following the spirit, we kind of just get blown by the wind of culture. Anybody else ever experienced that? Sometimes you're just kind of like a, a tumbleweed. You know, you just see through life and you just figure out like all of a sudden you kind of look and you're like, man, I'm just kind of getting blown around. These pressures from all sides. And when we look at these scriptures, it's interesting. I don't believe that what, um, what, 
what Joshua is being told. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I don't believe that that was just supposed to be a pep talk for Joshua. I believe it was this. I believe God um, speaking through Moses, speaking to Joshua, speaking through the officers, the leaders in Israel. I believe God was trying to get him to see, Joshua, I have called you to lead these people. I'm going to be with you. You need to understand this is what you were created for. This is your purpose. This is your calling to lead these people. Now see this, understand this, grab hold of this, um, embrace this, and don't let go of this. You can be strong and courageous, Joshua, because this is the very thing that I made you for and I've called you to and I've made you, giving you the ability to do it. We go to Paul and we read all this stuff. I mean, he's been shipwrecked three times. How many of you are not getting back on a boat after the second time? He's like, I spent, I spent a whole day and night in the open sea. I've been beaten. I've been flogged. I, I, I've you know, been stoned. All these things. And he, he, he says, though, I've been pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. But listen, I don't despair. He goes, all these things and these pressures, even people in the churches that he established, even people in those churches that are saying, you're not the apostle. You don't have authority. You're, you're not the real apostle. They are. And he's having to fight to preserve the true gospel, not to let them drift off into this gospel that tells us we've got to work to be saved, but trying to preserve the truth that Jesus did everything for us to be saved. And now salvation comes by faith in Christ through the grace and working of God in our lives by faith, and he's fighting, and he's fighting, and these pressures, and the concern for the churches, you would think like he would just be falling apart, and I want to show you what, why I believe he wasn't. Now, brought this baseball today, because this is how I think Joshua and Paul lived their life. Uh, and not that they never had a doubt. I don't want to paint that picture. Not that they were never anxious. Paul tells us he was anxious. Listen, not that they were always perfect, but how was he not crushed by all of these things? And when we look at a baseball, look, I can take with one hand and I can squeeze this thing as hard as I want to squeeze it, but what happens? Not much of anything, right? I can take two hands and I can squeeze it as hard as I want to squeeze it, but what happens? Not much of anything. Why? It's solid on the inside. It's solid. I believe Joshua and Paul, they were so solid in who God had told them they were. They were so solid in who God had called them to be. They were so solid and firmly planted in the truth of God's word that the pressures of life and the pressures around them, the pressures of other people didn't sway him. He stood firm and he stood fast because he was so solid in God and who he is in Christ. But now listen, then tell me if this is something that you can relate to. How about us, right? Sometimes I really believe we, we are more, me too, we, we are more like this. And I hope I can, these are really, really, Firm tomatoes. So I'm hoping it might take two hands, right? But, but, but for us, when the pressure comes, at least, oh yeah, there we go. Little juice. When the pressure comes, anybody ever feel like that? Anybody want some tomato? I don't even like tomato. I told them at nine, I'm like, I don't like tomato. And, and, um, I don't like sticky hands. I don't mind dirt. I get dirty. It doesn't bother. I do not like sticky. So anyway, um, but how many of you ever feel more like the tomato than the baseball? Anybody else? It just in life, we just feel like we're getting crushed. We, we, we probably, if we're honest, would never say like, I'm, I'm uh, pressed but not crushed. We'd be like, I'm crushed. And so we struggle with how do we get to this place where we are able to be this solid, to pursue Christ, 
to do the things we were created to do, to not be swayed by the winds of culture, to stand firm in God and in his truth. Listen, that's what we're looking at today. I want you to see this, and I want you first to know that the way that happens is we grow in fullness in Christ. We realize the fullness of Jesus. We're growing up in him. I want to give you a quick definition of this. We can zoom it in. There you go. To me, this is what growing in the fullness of Jesus is. It's becoming fully integrated into the new creation I have become. It's becoming fully integrated into the new creation I have become. Listen, life and the world around us, the God of this age and the world he has has shaped and molded. Listen, it wants to leave us like this, disintegrated. When we come to Jesus and we begin to grow in fullness, what begins to happen is we begin to be integrated, put together, held together, sustained by something much greater than what's in the world. You remember in 1 John it says, listen, he who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And we become more solid in this way. I want you to see this, that as Christians, it's an interesting dynamic. As people who've become followers of Jesus, it's an interesting dynamic. By faith, we've we've, um, become a new creation, but we're becoming fully integrated into the new creation I've already become. How can that be? That I'm becoming something I already am. But it's the truth. Like we have already become the righteousness of Christ by faith, but we're growing in the righteousness of Christ by faith. We are becoming who Jesus already made us to be. The problem is that most of us don't see ourselves the way Jesus has recreated us. I've used an example several times of my youngest son. I could give him my clothes right now. He could put them on, but they're big. They'd still be his. But over time, he can grow into those. Jesus gives us his righteousness. He's given us his fullness. He's withheld nothing from us. But it takes time, and over time, we grow into this fullness. We grow into who Christ has made us to be. We become fully integrated into this. There's more in you, and this is the cool thing about Jesus. There's more in you, the fullness of Christ in you, that God wants to bring out. Uh, For example, when I first started, I got saved. People kind of started asking me to come share my testimony. They would ask me, hey, could you come share a message with us, those kind of things. And, And listen, when I first started doing that, I'm not the greatest preacher by any means right now, but I can tell you this. When I first started, awful. Awful. But see, here's the thing. God had already put everything in me that I needed to fulfill the purpose he created me for. I just had to grow into it. But the only way we grow into it is if we're not afraid to step and fail. If we're not afraid to step in faith and realize that that's the victory, right? That I stepped in faith. The success of it is not what people say or if I get patted on the back. I actually had people come up to me and go, that was not good, and I'm just glad you hushed. I'm not even kidding. And so some of y'all still do that. But the truth of it is, like, there's more in you that God wants to grow out of you. He wants to do this. He's already done the work for you in Christ and by his grace. Now he wants to do the work in you by his grace. And then he wants to do the work through you by his grace. But we have to embrace the fact that there is more in me. God has created me for more than what the world around me has told me I exist for. So how do we grow in knowing God? How do I grow in fullness in Christ? I want to make a statement. You need to get this. So wake up, quit Instagramming or whatever you're doing. I know if you are, you're like, This is the best message I've ever, right? I'm sure that's what you're Instagramming or texting or whatever. But look, look, I want you to hear this. Growing in knowing God and growing into fullness in Jesus happens through the same means. God has given us some tools that he has put in our arsenal, in our tool bag, that we are to use if we're going to grow one, in knowing God, 
and two into fullness in Christ. And so as we look at these things, I want you to remember that, that the things we're going to talk about, they're, they're, ne they're necessary, they're necessities for both to grow in knowing God, to grow in the fullness of Christ. They're necessities even beyond that for all of life in God. And so keep that in mind. The first thing we have to do if we're going to grow in knowing God, and I'm not talking about knowing about God or having some biblical knowledge. I'm talking about knowing him and relating to him in a relationship with him, walking with him. If I'm going to grow in knowing him, and if I'm going to grow into the fullness of Christ, I've got to get my motivation right. This is where we miss it so many times in the church. This is where we get it off. Listen, if your motivation is off, you'll never make it. You will never be consistent. You will never, listen, just, just if your motivation in this is off, you'll never keep stepping. How many of you have already, and let's be honest, broken your New Year's resolution? So you brought out some hands, they're all like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why? Because we, we lack the motivation. It sounds good, but when we start stepping it out, we're like, I'd rather eat the breadstick, you know? And so we just don't stick with it. But, but our, motiva our motivation, our motivation, our motivation has to be right. How many of you have been around long enough? You remember us, me talking about this for a few weeks, this diagram. Yeah, this is our motivation. Listen, so many times in the church, we think it starts with us. We work really hard. Um, we earn our acceptance with God and then God loves us. But this is the gospel that God loved us even when we were enemies. We only love him because he first loved us. He gave us unconditional love. Even while we were just stuck in our sin, dead in our sin, he did everything we need um, to, to be saved, to be reconciled. He shows us who he is. He shows us who we are apart from Christ. He shows us what he's done through Christ and now who we've become by faith in Christ and that love that he's poured out in our life and the spirit of God he's put in us, motivates us, compels us by his love to do everything we do in the Christian life. But if your motivation, and listen, if your motivation is to be a good Christian, you're never gonna stick with it. If your motivation is because you've always been around church and for you, church is just doing the right thing. Doing the right thing is not gonna keep you motivated. Remembering what God has done for you and who he is and who you've become and how he brought you out of sin and death and put his spirit in you and worshiping him and praying to him and reading his word and that being fanned into a flame, that will motivate you for life. The fear of God, like, listen, I know fear is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and all that, and it's true. But, but listen, when, before I was saved, like, fear didn't really motivate me. It might for a while. What motivated me is when I realized what a wretched sinner I am and that God still loved me and gave me a way to come to him even though it cost him dearly. When the Spirit opened my eyes to that, it changed me forever. Not just because I need to be a good Christian. I need to be a good pastor. I need to live this way. I need to live that way. I want to do it because of this. We've got to get our motivation right. Now, this is going to sound a little bit possibly confusing when I show you the second one. How do I grow in knowing God? Obviously, I grow in knowing God, okay? Right. But let's look at this. How do I grow into the fullness of Jesus if I'm going to grow in the fullness of Jesus, I've got to grow in knowing God. It's impossible for me to grow into the knowledge of uh, and the fullness of Christ if I don't know who God is. Why is that so important for me to know God? Why can't I just grow into fullness without knowing God? Um, the biggest thing I believe is that if we don't know God, we don't know who we've become. 
If I'm in Christ, I've now by faith been made like Christ and I'm to grow into Christ and Jesus is the exact representation and expression of God. How am I gonna know who I am and how am I gonna grow into something that I don't even know who he is or what what he's about or what he's like? Plus, I need to realize that as I walk this out in faith, and we talked about this last week, the things I walk in, the things I walk upon are the promises of God. I gain traction by stepping in faith on his promises. But if I don't realize the God who upholds those promises, who gives those promises um, assurance to me, then I'm never going to step in faith because I don't know that he's never going to let me down, that he's never going to come to a place where he just walks away, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me the way he tells us with Joshua the way Jesus tells us in the great commission that he'll be with us always even to the end of the age if I don't know the truth about God's character and nature that he is unchanging that his love is unconditional that he is just that he is right all of these things if I don't know him I'll never consistently step in his promises because I won't really trust that he's good and willing and able that he's faithful sovereign and, and, and that he will do everything he's promised. I'll never walk in those things, not consistently. So we need to know God. We need to know who he is if we're gonna grow into fullness in Christ, if we're gonna stand firm in his truth, in his promises. I wanna ask you this, though. Here's the thing. Let's, let's just think about this real quick. Everybody, look, when we talk about knowing God, Would you agree with me that every person in this room to one degree or another has an error, an inaccurate way of thinking about God in some way? Anybody? That we don't see God perfectly clearly? That maybe we don't think exactly accurately about God? Anybody? Well, let me tell you, we all do, okay? Don't, not raise your hand. We all do. And, and here's why. Let me, let me just do this real quick. Let me, let me find some young guys right over here. Here we go. All right. If I hold the Bible right here, see, if you were old like me, I'd have to hold it back here for you to see it. But if I hold the Bible right here, can you read it? See it good? It's clear, right? All right. You don't have, like, incredible vision, do you? Like, where you're going to be like, yeah, I can read it. What about now? Can't see it, can you? Not as clear, right? And so distance ends up clouding my vision. What happened when sin entered the world and man was separated from God is we no longer could see him clearly. And over time, that vision hasn't gotten more clearly. In fact, you've heard people say this, like, I remember it like it was yesterday. But do we really know? Like, over time, memories get cloudy, My kids are like, Dad, you remember this? I'm like, no. I can't remember anything. Time will typically cloud our remembrance of things. When we get away from things from a distance, they become less clear. I believe that's what's happened with people. Like, listen, when sin separated us from God, we have no clarity of God. His image has been distorted. We don't see our image bearer clearly. So how do we know who we are? We've got to grow in knowing God if we're going to grow into the fullness of Christ. Now, I need need two volunteers, and we've got to do this quickly. I need one who is at least over 50. Do we have one here today, a volunteer? I'm not going to embarrass you. Somebody over 50. I know it's 11, right? It's 11 (laughs) o'clock. Miss Mary, you want to come up? Come on up, Miss Mary. I need one under 25-ish. Somebody under, that's easy, right? Come on up. Got plenty of those. See, 9 o'clock, it was the opposite. I was like, anybody over 60? Anybody under 25? Can you get up here, Miss Mary? There you go. Come on, Miss Mary. You got to help me out here now. All right. I want you all to come right over here. All right? You be careful now. No, turn the other way. You got to turn your back. All right, I want you looking at the screen. Step right over here. All right, all right, you can 
Come over here. You can come over on this side. What's your name? Wit. Wit. Awesome, yes, Wit. Thank you for helping me out. I'm going to try to not fall off the stage going behind you. All right. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an image on the screen. And then I want you to tell me the first thing you think about when that image pops up. You just say it out loud, all right? And it's not one of those things where you, like, stare at it and then it goes, Arrah! you know what I mean? So it's, this, is, this is legit, right? So I want you to just say the first thing you think about when I put this image up there. Digits. Digits? Tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe. <laughs> That's awesome. So you saw digits. All right, how many of you saw tic-tac-toe? Can y'all see it okay? Probably not. All right, y'all stand still. How many of y'all see tic-tac-toe? All right, how many of you saw a number sign? How many of you saw a hashtag? How many of you saw a pound? All right, how many of you are just confused and like, why is he doing this? All right, all right. So, so here's the point, and, y- and y'all, y'all can go now. I appreciate it, Miss Mary. None of them, I, at nine, here, let me help you down. Let me help you down here. Come on. You got it? Yes, sir. All right. Glad to see you here, Miss Mary. Glad you're feeling good. So, anyway, all morning long, nobody has said anything like what I wanted them to. I tried this out on Susan last night, my wife, and and she immediately when I showed it to her, she said, number sign. And I was like, yes, that's exactly right. I got um, a young man up here this morning. I got an older lady up here. And when I showed it to him, they said the exact opposite of what I thought they'd say. One of them, she said, hashtag, he said, number. I'm like, (laughs) you're throwing this thing off completely, right? But but the point still stands, guys. why would so many of us see this differently, right? And, and probably if you're old, probably over 40-ish, my age, like when I see this, the first thing I think about is number, right? For many of you, you're, you're younger than me. The first thing you see is hashtag. Why would that be so? Because that's what you've learned it to be, right? Isn't that what your experience has told you this is? so that we can have a room full of people that see tic-tac-toe, pound, number, and hashtag. Experience taught you all different kinds of things. Do you think maybe our experience has done the same thing with us and God? That our experience has distorted how we see God. We attribute things to God. And God's like, that's not who I am. We, we, we credit things to other people or other situations that God goes, hey, that was a blessing. Listen, so many times our experience has distorted our view of God. And so we need, if we're going to grow in knowing God and we're going to grow in the fullness of Christ, there's three things that we need to do motivated by the love of God in pursuit of him. There's three things that we need to do in two different ways. Here's the first one. We need to be in God's word. We need to know God's word. Why is this so important in growing and knowing God and growing into the fullness of Christ? Because listen, the world has told me all of this stuff. I've got to come to some accurate understanding of who he is and who I am according to truth. Which by the way, listen, this is not a popular thing today, but it is the truth that this word, if we are going to experience freedom that Jesus promised the truth would bring, this has to be the greatest authority in our life. If this says hashtag, it's hashtag. Even if the rest of the room says tic-tac-toe, pound, and number. Okay? It's got to be the authority in our life. 
that that's the power to set us free. When God puts it in our heart and we come to a place of realizing, yeah, this stuff was written a long time ago, but when I read it, it still speaks to the basic problem of humanity, and that is sin at the core of my being. That's a need to belong. That's this feeling I can't do enough good to make myself right. And then we read this, and it speaks to all of it. And I find out that God has done everything necessary to make me right and to give me peace and to connect me with him and to connect me with other people that I can continue to grow with. It's got to be the ultimate authority in our life. If not, how do we separate opinions and speculations from truth? Because here's the thing, whether, it's, whether you thought tic-tac-toe, hashtag, whatever they are, we could have an argument about that, but who's right? What we would say is everybody's right. But isn't that what the world's doing today? Everybody's right. Your truth, your truth, and my truth, my truth. But what if those truths conflict? Then one of them's wrong. There can't be but one truth, right? If these are conflicting, they're not both true. If opinions are establishing truth and they conflict, then one of them's not true. You can't have conflicting truths. So you come to two options. One, there either is no truth, but that's a Statement of truth. Or two, someone greater and higher with more authority and value and worth has established what is true. And therefore, all truth is either revealed to us or we discover what God has already established as true. The Word of God comes the ultimate truth and has the power to set us free. I want to show you one example of this. There it is. How many of you would agree that according to God's word, God's love is consistent? It never changes from eternity to eternity. It never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will not wake up tomorrow and go, I love you less. Right? Consistent, unchanging, unconditional. And so we see this. But, but let me ask you this. How many of you would, would, would say you're like me and this is more how your life looks? Anybody? Some ups and downs? Yeah. How many of you, and let's, be, let's just be honest, let's talk through this. How many of you would say you have days when you're up here, and let's be honest, and you feel like, hmm, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm not a bad guy. I can kind of see how God loves me. And you're kind of like, yeah, this is good. And on that day, you're kind of like, oh, it kind of makes sense. I kind of see how he loves me. But then, what about when you're right here? How many of you have ever said this in your mind? Maybe not in these exact words, but you've kind of thought it. There's no way they can love me because I don't even love myself. There's no way God can love me like I am. How could God possibly love me in this condition? Well, I want to show you something that's greater than your feelings and greater than your emotions if this is the authority of your life. Romans chapter 8, Paul goes on and he's talking about how God has, has, has basically silenced every other voice. He says things like, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on and he says, um, uh, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? That's starting in verse 31. I want to begin in verse 37. He says, knowing all these things, we are. He's listed all these different charges and allegations and things that could come against him. And he says, no, in all these things, he, he lists all this stuff out. And then finally he just comes to his place in all these things, in everything, in all of creation. He says, we are. 
Two very important words. Paul said, we are. In, in, in all these things, we are, he says, more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced Another important word. He is convinced of this. Whether he is on top of the mountain or in the valley, there's something that he is convinced of, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That passage and those scriptures are just one examples of how God's truth trumps our feelings and our emotions, how when we're in that place and we are completely unlovable in our own mind and we're telling ourselves we suck and we'll never be able to accomplish anything because that's the very thing our parents might have said to us or because we fail time and time again. If God can't love me or God can't love me, there's no way he can love me. I can't love me. I'll never find anybody that can really love me because this is who I am. And God's truth says, no, 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 no. If you're in me, you'll never get separated from my love. All the world may be against you, but I'm for you. Even when you're in this place, even when you are pressed and you feel like you might be crushed, you take strength because the truth is, I'm with you. I will never forsake you. And what I've put in you is greater than those things coming against you. See, this is just one example. But guys, listen, this has gotten me out of a lot of valleys. Because I want you to watch this. You know, when you're in this spot right here, and you feel like, well, maybe God could love me. Do you know if you weren't in Christ, the gap between you and God is unfathomable? And there's no possibility that we could span that gap even on our greatest day. But you know what happens? God's grace. Paul says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And even he does the unthinkable, the unfathomable. He begins to fill in even the deepest, darkest valleys with his love and grace, calling us up and out to something greater. And we realize, finally, we come to this place where we realize that the cross of Christ has bridged even the greatest gap, the greatest chasm that we could possibly ever possibly experience, that he didn't die for the little sins we don't mind talking about, but he died for the deep, dark ones, the deep wounds, the hard things that we've been through, the hard things that we've done, the things that tend to haunt us in our sleep. But he says this, if you will get a revelation of who you are in me, I can set you free from all of those things. You can truly begin to grow in the fullness of Christ and who you are. And here's the argument against this, guys. This is what uh, the argument has typically been. If you tell people that God's love is true even for you there and you don't keep them guilty and condemned, then they're just gonna keep going like this. If that's the hard attitude, then I would dare say you haven't yet realized and experienced his love in this place. Because this is life-changing. This is life-giving. When the Spirit of God and the truth of his word reminds you, I'm loved, not just when I feel like a good boy, not just when I feel like a good girl, not just when I think I've done well. You're loved, period. The next thing, we have to begin to pray. We do this, these things, three things in two ways, alone. We do it corporately. We need to be with God alone. But listen, alone is different than isolation. God does not call us to isolate ourselves. He does call us to get alone with him. If God is with me, I'm not isolated. We're called to get together with others and we're called to pray. Listen, I'm not talking about um, some little prayer just you know, one of these prayers like cross my fingers, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, hope God comes through for me, right? I'm talking about the weapon of prayer. 
Ephesians 6, we talk about the armor of God. But here's the truth, guys. He gives us the armor of God, and then he tells us how to put it on. We just don't talk about that very much. That's in verse 18, where he tells us to pray and continually keep on praying. He gives us the armor. The way we use it is through prayer. I'm talking about prayer as a weapon. Because what happens is the Bible tells us, you know, he gives us the, the belt of truth, the uh, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, all these different weapons in our arsenal. But he says that he's also given us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's the thing. When the pressures of the world and the voices of the world begin to try to define me and the winds of culture try to blow me around and blow me wherever it wants to go, how do I stand in that? I stand in the truth of his word and I take the sword of the spirit and I nullify every lie that's coming at me. I stand on the promises. I don't feel loved, but I'm loved. I don't feel competent, but he can use me. I don't feel like there's much in me, but I know this. If I'll keep stepping in faith in his promises, steps of faith consistent over time are gonna create momentum. And if I have some momentum over time, what's gonna happen is that I'm gonna end up seeing significant growth in my life. Gotta be praying and warring, taking the word of God, these different promises and using them to fight. The last one is worship. The Bible often uses a word for worship that is sometimes translated magnify. It means to magnify the Lord. The Hebrew word for that actually means that something grows larger, that it's magnified, that something grows larger. One of the things that happens when we begin to worship God according to his word, truth, and according and, and within the, and in the spirit of God, one of the things that begins to happen is God begins to become bigger. He begins to be magnified. We begin to seek more clearly in worship. It's like worship takes the truth of God's word. It's why we sing songs that line up with the truth of his word so that when we sing these things, it begins to cement it in our heart. It's like we begin to see more clearly and things around us begin to fade and go away. And we come to these times of worship, um, singing or whatever it might be that we're doing that creates worship and fans the flame. But we come to these times and we zero in on God and my mind and my heart are lifted to him. My mind and my heart think about what motivates me to worship him, that he is here. I was here, but he came here to get me, to take me back to where he is. And now I can live my life in his presence. How can I not worship him when I come in here and I begin to think about who he is and what he's done, who I was and who I've become? How can I not worship him? And as I worship him, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the day of my life. And I'm mindful of him. I'm conscious of him and I'm thinking about him. And then, oh my gosh, I got a little bit angry because the woman pulled out in front of me and it could have been a man. I'm sorry. That was, I'll have to resign because of that. Right. It was a man. He pulled out in front of me and I got mad and I might have got really mad. But listen, listen, listen. Don't let it just downward spiral. God, thank you. And God, show me what it is in me that makes me, makes that bother me so much. I guarantee you, as you grow into the fullness of Christ, things like that don't bother you nearly as badly. What begins to happen, guys, as we spend time in his word, we spend time in prayer, we spend time in worship, our worldview begins to change. As we read his word, we begin to line up with his will, his heart, his mind. As we pray, we begin to line ourselves up in alignment with him and his will, his heart, his mind, his, his, his desires. As I worship him, I'm lining my life up with him in all these things. And my worldview begins to change. I begin to see things not according to my experiences, but according to who he really is and who I've really been created to be. And this is what happens. My worldview of how I view God, how I view um, myself, how I view others, how I view my purpose, it begins to change. And here's why this is important, because my worldview determines how I think. How I think determines the decisions that I make, and the decisions I make determine how I live my life. It's no wonder that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that the way to transformation is a renewed mind. 
How does it happen? It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the living and active word as we spend time with him and our minds begin to be renewed. It happens as I take thoughts captives that's, that, that are not in line with the truth and I come into a place of recognizing the truth. When we look at this, this if somebody had taught me this 15 years ago, my life would have been way different. The challenge of that would have been I would have not learned it the way I've learned it. But listen, if we can really see this and we allow God's word to be the greatest authority in my life and I come to that place of faith in Christ and I really recognize and begin to grow in who, knowing who he is and then I begin to grow in the truth and the promises of who I am in him and I'm growing into fullness and he's pulling out of me all that he's put in me and I'm growing in that and I'm beginning to step and fulfill. I'm telling you, the church of Christ will be transformed. The world will be transformed. I used to sit with people and I'm gonna wrap up. I used to have, when I would sit down with someone who I deemed them as more spiritual than me. Anybody ever been around people you're like, man, I'm kind of intimidated because they like, everything they say is like, glory to God in the highest or something, you know, and it's like they quote scripture all the time and you're just like, and I would sit down with people who I kind of thought, maybe they're more spiritual than me. This is as a pastor. And I'm sitting there the whole time, I'm thinking like, what are they thinking? Anybody ever have conversations like that? Where, Where you're like, you're thinking the whole time, what are they thinking? And I would do that. And then I was about to meet with somebody one time and I kind of saw them as way more spiritual than me. And, and, and I used to would sit down with people like that and go, I wonder if they think I'm qualified. I wonder if they think I'm good enough. And, and, and I just spend the whole time just wondering. And then they'd leave and go, what did they think? And I was about to meet with somebody that I saw that way and I could feel that sort of feeling coming. And then I remembered the truth of God and I thought, you know, I hope they like me. I hope they see me as competent. I hope they see me as good enough to do what I'm doing, but they didn't call me. And I remembered the truth that I'm competent, not because they say I'm, I'm competent because of Christ. And I really wanted them to like me when they left, but if they didn't, it didn't change who I was. And you know what? I was able to just sit down and have a good conversation freedom. Now, I don't want to be above correction. If I'm out of line, then I can be corrected, but that doesn't mean I'm condemned. It means come back into alignment. And that's my heart for you guys, that we would grow into who God created us to be, that we would grow in knowing him, that our greatest passion would be to be in his presence. Our greatest passion would be to worship and pray that we would get to a place where we're so mindful of who he is that our hearts are moved, our hearts are compelled, our lives are compelled in pursuit of him. So I want to pray for that for us right now. Father, I thank you for your love in our lives, God. I thank you for the power of your word, Lord. Father, I pray right now that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly, the consistency of your character and nature, that you're not up and down. And God, that we would recognize that even in our ups and downs, you remain the same. God, I pray right now, I pray, God, for those who are here today and they're in that low spot. They're wondering, how could God love me? I don't even love me. God, would you help them see themselves the way you see them in Christ? I'll give you an opportunity today. You don't know him. You've never come to faith in him, but I don't want to let you leave today without giving you this, this opportunity to acknowledge what God's doing in you. You would say today that the Lord has brought you to a place of making a decision to follow Jesus, to give your life to him, and you know that this is what he's leading you to do today. I'm gonna ask you all, look up here at at me and wanna do this as a secret thing. This is a celebration. It's not something to be ashamed of. If today you're saying for the first time in your life, I need Jesus. 
I want to spend my life glorifying him. Something's been awakened in your soul, in your spirit. And I want to follow him. I recognize the depth of his love for me. I want to spend my life following and glorifying him, laying all of my life down for him because of his great love for me. I'm going to ask you to be really bold, and we're going to celebrate with you what God has done in you. Standing up right now, I'm just going to ask you to stand. It does not save you. Faith in Jesus is what saved you. That's the work of God in your heart. But we're going to acknowledge it. If you're here today, and you say, I'm, I've surrendered my life to him. I want, I'm coming to him. Today is the day that I want to acknowledge for the first time my salvation. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Let us celebrate with you. I know it's an intimidating thing. If you're not a church person, you haven't been around, or maybe you are, listen. It's an opportunity just to acknowledge what God's already done in your heart. All right. Well, God, thank you for how you're stirring us. Thank you for all the good you have in mind for us. Let us become more and more strengthened in you. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all have a great week. God bless you.